Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, visit my website at barebonesyoga.com for free resource guides for teachers. Download any and all of them, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian, and I am your host. Today is episode 141, and I am recording this on July 26, 2021. So uh, I hope you had a great weekend. I have been completely, completely ensconced in the Olympics and um, just so inspired by the Olympics, just so amazed at how many different sports there are. Matter of fact, just this morning, I saw handball, which I always thought of as a two-on-two sport where you hit it against the wall, but there's actually a whole handball sport itself where it's a team sport and you play it on a court similar to soccer or basketball you know aside from just learning about new kinds of um uh, new new team sports and new events uh and just being exposed to things that i haven't seen in a long time like archery or uh i forget the the event that has the rifles anyway it's all amazing and on top of it so inspiring so if you're, you know, looking for inspiration, I would definitely say turn on the Olympics. It's it's literally on 24/7 with the time difference. I'm on the East Coast here. I think that's a big part of it um, in terms of the coverage is almost always on, uh, and it's just great. I'm just completely loving it. So aside from that, I hope that you did have a good weekend. For those of you who are longtime listeners, uh, you know that I record on Mondays, and I really, really, really try to keep to that schedule. So here we are on a Monday. And, um, you know, over the past week, I've had an opportunity to uh, conduct two coaching calls with two of the teachers in my blueprint learning program. And I just wanted to share with you some of the just higher level concepts that came up because, you know, aside from the nitty gritty detail type things that we go over, there are some general things that come up that sometimes I think, um, oh, I want to share that with people on the podcast, just so that you can kind of benefit from some of the learning that the teachers are doing in my program. And so one of the things that I wanted to just um, throw out to you, you know, I know a lot of teachers, because I hear this from them, they hesitate to enroll in a program like mine, because they say they don't have the time. And one of the teachers that I am working with, uh, she enrolled super, super excited. And then, you know, a lot of things in her life started to happen that weren't happening when she enrolled and she started to freak out that she wasn't going to have time for the program. And so what I want to talk about is just really briefly, some of what 
is out there in the world of neuroscience around learning. And I think this is really, really important for us to keep in mind. Any of us, you know, yoga teachers or otherwise who are out there trying to learn new information. And that is from the perspective of how the brain optimally absorbs information, it's really best to limit learning sessions to about 45 minutes. And then believe it or not, to follow these um, bouts of intense learning with something like deep breathing exercises, uh, something that gets your heart rate up, or, um, or I think the other thing was um, like a yoga nidra type situation. Um, I'm gonna have to go back and check on that reference. All of this information I'm giving you is not coming from me. It's coming from the Huberman Lab podcast. And Dr. Andrew Huberman is uh, a neurobiologist and runs a lab at Stanford. And I have been taking a massive deep dive over the past year into neuroscience and his podcast uh, has been a huge part of, of the learning that I've been doing. And there's a lot of research around how the brain optimally functions when we are learning new information. And of course, you know, that ability of the brain is what we call neuroplasticity. And so the reason this is important for yoga teachers, you know, like the ones that I coach in my program, or maybe, maybe you as a listener, is that when you're trying to learn something, you have to let go of what you did in high school, which was the cramming for an exam, the, the scenario where you sat for three hours and you tried to just absorb a whole bunch of information in your head. Now, granted, when you were in high school, you were still your brain was much more plastic than it is. I think what he was referring to is neuroplasticity is happening at such a fast pace up until I think 18, and then it starts to slow. And so, you know, while you might have been able to tolerate staying up late, cramming for an exam, that's not something that will help you in your learning when you're over the age of 25. So, the reason this can be really helpful for yoga teachers is it can reframe opportunities that you're thinking of approaching where your resistance is coming up around this self-limiting belief that, quote, you don't have the time. Because when you think about it, what you really want to do with, let's say you enroll in my program, you want to chunk it out. You want to sit for 45 minutes, absorb information, and then go for a run and get your heart rate up. Oh, the other thing was take a cold shower, something where the yoga nidra was important to do after, after. So it was deep breathing, cold shower, or do something where you're really getting your heart rate up. So what I personally do in my own path of learning is when I'm learning something new, um, I go for a, a tempo run after, and then I come home, I take a cold shower and I make sure I get a good night's sleep that, that night. So I just want to throw that out there. If you're doing your own studying on, if you're doing studying on your own, if you're thinking of enrolling in a program like mine, and maybe you're hesitating because quote, you don't have the time. Remember, you can chunk it out and in actuality, you'll get better results in the long run anyway. So that's number one. And the other thing I want you to, you know, kind of think about is to love the pace you're at. You know, I think we run in a world where everything is a hack. Everything needs to happen fast. Everything needs turnaround time. You know, we're looking for results all the time and fast. And let's face it, you know, there is something to be said for loving the pace you're at. So to that end, if you were to enroll in a program, take a training, whatever it is, I mean, aside from those that are paced according to the program where you have to show up on certain days, 
why not just love the pace you're at? I mean, that's one of the beauties of my program and other programs, which are kind of self-driven. You can do it at whatever pace works for you. And so part of it is letting go of that type A push, 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 and loving the pace that you're doing it in. And, you know, I often say to teachers when they say to me in my program, oh, it's happening. I'm going too slow. I'm like, look, you're going at the rate you're going at. You know, if you want to go faster, we can create a schedule that facilitates that. But if that's not what you're looking for, just love the pace that you're at. Okay, so that's that. And then the other thing is I wrote a blog post over the weekend or yeah, on Friday or Saturday about the role of nuance in teaching. And this came up in one of my coaching calls this weekend with one of the teachers in my program. And it has to do with you know, the more you learn anatomy, you are able to appreciate the nuance in the body. And, and by that, I mean, you know, when you're newer to anatomy or you don't know anatomy, you tend to look at things in a very black and white uh, fashion. And by that, I mean, someone comes up to you and they point to their hip and they say, oh, I have a pain right here. And you might think literally like what muscle is there? And while that is helpful and part of the conversation, the other thing that's more in the nuance world is appreciating that there's so much more that can be impacting that person in that one part of their body, um, aside from just literally the muscle that's there. And this appreciation and, and diving into this area of, of nuanced thinking only happens when you do the work to learn the details. It's impossible to teach and appreciate nuance and, and teach from a perspective of nuance when you don't know the details. And so by that, I mean, Think about, um, you know, as you're teaching, when you start to share cues where anatomy is the theme, anatomy-based cues, that kind of, of cue sharing has to be coming from a basis of you knowing the anatomy involved. It's, it shouldn't be coming from, you know, you're just kind of generally speaking to the body or speaking, you know, in a nuanced way to something that someone may or may not feel you have to be able to walk it back to literally what is happening, to, to walk away from the nuance to the detail, to walk it back to the detail from which that nuanced approach came from. And so I, I know this probably sounds a little heady, but you know, I hope that maybe even some of it is coming across. One of the really fun things uh, and realizations you'll have as you learn more about anatomy is that you'll appreciate that you'll never really know. Uh, and that really is the truth for us as yoga teachers, because we're really not operating in an occupation and a career in a path and a modality where we have at our fingertips enough information to really know what's going on with our students and their bodies. And so you know, to some extent, the best we can do is kind of poke around with different approaches, whether it's try this pose, try that pose, try this sequence of poses, try this deep breathing technique, try this myofascial technique, and we're working with them to try to help them feel better. And so, um, you know, and I know that scenario I just described probably works better in a private session versus a group class. But, you know, the idea is we have to be comfortable with not knowing even when we know a lot. And I think, you know, for newer teachers, that's always frustrating because newer teachers want to know, how do I do it? 
What should I be saying? What should I be teaching? Um, what, what happens if this scenario comes up? And, and I think that that's part and parcel with, you know, being new, you want to know the quote, right thing to do. And as you learn more information as a yoga teacher about the way the body works, you'll really start to embrace this idea that you can never really know. And so therefore, you know, you have to be able to teach in a way that risk goes down because you do know enough to not offer things where risk is going to be high. So um, you can take a look at that blog post. I am back to blogging after many, many years of blogging. And then, um, you know, the past couple of years of diving into the podcast, I decided to revitalize my blog and I will be posting weekly on Fridays. So feel free. I've posted now three times uh, over the past three consecutive weeks. Uh, so you can just find my blog right on my website. So what I wanted to talk, oh, and then one other thing, I created a YouTube video, I post YouTube videos weekly, and this, uh, or last week's post was about head positioning in poses. And this is something that I really want you to keep in mind, because, you know, we think oftentimes about sharing anatomy with our students in complicated ways, where we're talking about muscles and contractions and lengthening and things like that. But there's a lot to be said for just pulling from anatomical position, key aspects of that position and speaking to the benefit of maintaining that quality throughout the practice. And so head positioning is definitely one of these things. When you look at someone in anatomical position, their head is centered over their shoulders. When you change their relationship to the floor and put them in different shapes like triangle or twisting triangle or plank or low plank, now the impact of gravity on their body is different. And so as a result, what you'll tend to see is that students lose awareness of their head position and their head hangs in various ways. When they face the floor, their head tends to drop. And so their chin and the weight of their head drags down as if they were looking at their cell phone. When you see somebody in lateral bends and things like triangle, you'll see their head drop and their ear will drop towards their lower shoulder. So this is when it can be really powerful as a teacher to remind them about the head positioning quality that's part of anatomical position and just ask them to center their head or lift their head if that's appropriate. So this is something where you can take just the fundamental position of anatomical position, identify the qualities of AP that are part and parcel with that shape and look for opportunities in your teaching where you can call back to those positions and correct people's alignment so that they're more in sync with a quality that's part of AP. Now, if all of this is kind of gobbledygook and you're not really sure, that's okay. You know, I do an entire module on anatomical position in my blueprint learning program. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's part of a deeper dive I do when I teach anatomy. Um, but I think for now, if you watch the video on my YouTube channel, you will get a taste for the essence of this lesson. And it will absolutely give you something that you can, uh, you can call on right away in terms of um, bringing it into your teaching. So there's a quick win for you right there. 
Now, as far as today's episode, I wanted to do um, a, just a quick review of different yoga sequence themes. I know this is always a popular topic for teachers. They're always looking for um, different ways to theme their classes. And of course we can theme classes in different ways. It doesn't have to be an anatomical theme. Um, this is you know, my passion, my specialty, my expertise, what I love to focus on. So my classes tend to be themed around anatomy-based uh, sequences. So that's what I'm going to be focusing on today. So the first scenario I wanted to share, and, and I'll just say to preface this before we go into the different themes, I have a sequence building template that I, I know a lot of you must have at this point, because every time I mention it, I get a whole bunch of alerts that people are downloading it. If you don't have my sequence building template, you can get it right on my website. It's barebonesyoga.com and you'll see right on the homepage sequence building tool and just download it. And, you know, I did a whole episode recently about sequences and using a repeatable process to create them. And this can be a really powerful step for teachers to take to start to autom not automate 100%, but systematize how they approach sequence building rather than sitting at your desk with your journal blank piece of paper and constantly rewriting things or writing things from scratch, you know, it just takes so much time. So go to my website, get that sequence building template, and, um, and that'll save you a lot of time. The things we're going to go over today, I'm kind of skipping ahead to kind of the heart of the matter in terms of building the sequence. Remember, though, the, the sequence building tool has a very specific process that I want you to follow to make your sequence building activities faster, easier, fun, uh, and just not as you know time consuming as they have been. But for today's conversation, I'm gonna kind of skip over a lot of it just to get to the, a lot of the steps just to get to the heart of the matter. So for sequences that are based in um, different anatomical themes, the first one that I'm gonna talk about, I'm going to talk about is, um, internal and external rotation of the shoulders. So I don't necessarily think, I don't think that it's necessary to always present the quote counter pose. I know this is like a big thing that always comes up um, when I have teacher trainings and teachers always say, do you have to do the counter pose? You know, again, I don't really know any, any, you know, reason grounded in anatomy that you have to do that. I think that it can feel good. Um, I think that from a yogic perspective, there is a theme of balance that is called upon when we do like a forward fold after a back bend. I don't think though that it's grounded in any real anatomical reason where you have to do it. So having said that though, the themes I'm gonna to present to you today, I do have kind of the pose counter pose scenario from the perspective of the anatomical movement. So here in this first example, I'm talking about internal and external rotation of the shoulder. So that essentially is the one movement versus the other movement. Uh, the movement of rotation happens in the transverse plane. The shoulder joint is a ball and socket. So of course it is capable of both internal and external rotation. Keep in mind, the shoulder is comprised in part by uh, not only the humerus into the glenoid fossa of the scapula and the clavicle, but the scapula has its own set of movements. Um, here, we're primarily just talking about internal and external rotation, which is a function of the shoulder joint. 
Now, keep in mind, the joint is where the movement occurs. And as a result of the movement, the limb moves. We don't say the arm is externally rotating. We say the shoulder is externally rotating. And as a result, the arm rotates outward. So I want you to just really clean up your language if you need to, in terms of how you refer to these things. Now, again, how you refer to them when you're teaching may be different than when you're having conversations around anatomy. There's a lot of kind of artistic license taken when we cue people. And so that's why some of what we say doesn't always literally track back to what's actually happening from an anatomical standpoint, but we're taking somewhat artistic license and also sometimes just communicating in a way that's more common for how people refer to their arms and legs and, and limbs moving around. So for this conversation though, we're gonna stick with the anatomy. So internal and external rotation of the shoulders, you know, let's take a look at some poses where that's happening. So number one, we have upward dog with bilateral external rotation of the shoulders. Number two, this is probably one you haven't thought about from this perspective, but we have thread the needle. Thread the needle is one of the few poses that we actively offer to people where there's internal rotation of the shoulders. When you take that one arm up to the sky and then slide it underneath you, you're internally rotating your shoulder there, the one where the arm is underneath your body. When you do um, humble warrior and you interlace the hands behind the back and then forward fold, the shoulders are an external rotation there. Keep in mind that interlacing the fingers behind the back, drawing the shoulder blades together, that's external rotation, whether you're doing it in Humble Warrior, you're, whether you're doing it in chair, whether you're doing it in Warrior Two, whether you're doing it in a straddle position, you know, you're standing feet in a straddle position, th that shoulder position is always the same. So that falls into the bucket of external rotation. Uh, dancer's pose has external rotation of the shoulder, where you're reaching that arm back, that hand back to grab the inner edge of the foot. Then you have the variation of bow on the floor where you have students change the hand position. So instead of grabbing the outer edges of the feet, having them grab the inner edges of the feet. And when you do that, you essentially change the shoulder positioning to external rotation, bilateral external rotation. And I think that's an interesting variation to offer people because the traditional presentation of floor bow, Dhanurasana, is grab the outer edges of the feet. But when people do that, they turn their shoulder in. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, no anatomical movement is bad on its own. The one thing, though, that I think is interesting is with the leverage people get pushing their feet back into their hands, I think it's a little safer to have them in external rotation than internal rotation. And you'll see that because it's almost like if you have somebody do a tricep dip at the gym, the head of the humerus will jut forward oftentimes unless they have really good control of the scapula and can get a little bit of scapular uh, adduction through the rhomboids and the middle traps. If they don't have that strength there in between the scapula, the head of the humerus will start to push forward into the soft tissue of the rotator cuff. And then you'll start to see that protruding of the humerus forward. You won't see that if you have them in external rotation. Um, it's a little bit confusing sometimes for students to get. So I always just say, you know, 
reach your arms back, turn your hands or your thumbs face up, and then grab the inner edges of the feet. And that can sometimes get it. So those are some examples of poses where you have internal or external rotation. Now the muscles involved, so the muscles of external rotation of the shoulders are primarily the infraspinatus and the teres minor. And then the muscles involved in internal rotation of the shoulders are primarily teres major and subscapularis. And the subscapularis is part of the rotator cuff. So let's move on to another scenario. So let's look at hip adduction and abduction. So poses where these movements would be involved, you've got poses like warrior two, wide-legged straddle variations. So your prasarita, padottanasana type scenarios, any variation on those where you're standing people with their feet uh, in a straddle leg position, that's your hip abduction. And then your hip adduction is coming in postures where the legs are close together. So your uh, chair or your eagle or your cow uh, face pose seated uh, positioning. So those are two different things, hip adduction, uh, hip abduction first, that was the wide-legged stance, and then hip adduction eagle, uh, cow face pose, um, and then uh, chair. Now, in terms of muscles, anything on the lateral hip line is going to be a candidate for hip abduction. So you've got starting at the top of the hip, you have gluteus medius, gluteus minimus, tensor fascia lata. Right now I'm working uh, posteriorly down the, down the lateral aspect of the hip to the foot. Um, and then the tensor fascia lata or TFL turns into the IT band, which inserts on the knee. So that whole lateral line um, is responsible for hip abduction. Um, trying to think if there are other, no, those are really the primary, primary muscles. Remember, you know, we're talking about glute medius and minimus, not the glutes. When people talk about the glutes, they, you know, miss out on a chance to really teach their students the difference. So the lateral glutes are med and min, and the posterior glute is glute max. So, and then in terms of hip AB, uh, adduction, you have all the hip adductors, the adductor group. So you've got the um, adductor magnus, adductor brevis, gracilis, pectineus, adductor longus. All of these muscles run on the um, inner line of the thigh and bring the hips into uh, adduction. Um, so remember, we can say bring the legs together, but really the appropriate terminology is hip adduction. And then the last scenario we can look at is if you want to create some sequencing where core is the theme, you can have people doing things like good old fashioned crunches. You can have them do balancing because remember, core musculature touches the pelvis. We want the pelvis in a lot of balancing poses to stay level. So balancing postures by their nature are also core stabilizers, uh, require good core stabilization, therefore strengthening of the core. You also can do, I love doing things like lunge step backs. So imagine you have people standing up and then you have them sit in a chair and then come up, draw the right knee into the chest and then step the right leg back into crescent lunge. And then from that position, have them step forward back into chair, bend the knees, stand up, 
bend down, step back. So you can do several cycles of these and it's a great way to have people improve their balance and also their core. It's also a way to strengthen their hip flexors like the psoas, which you know basically is in the core, but isn't really a core muscle. It's really more a hip, a muscle of hip flexion. Um, but it is, you know, deep, deep in the, uh, in the belly there. So people sometimes do refer to it as a core muscle. Um, and then you also have your bicycles, right? Where you're getting into twists and then your standard leg lifts where you have people on the back and you have the legs up in the air and then you have the legs lower down and then you have it come up in the air, things like that. So muscles involved here, you've got the rectus abdominis, where you've got the muscle running from the sternum to the pubic bone. So that's your kind of six pack crunch muscle. Then you have your obliques, which are your twisting muscles. Then you have your transversus abdominis, which runs around the center of the body. So those are your four core muscles, the two obliques, the rectus abdominis and the transversus abdominis. Um, so, you know, this, this is a quick episode. <laughs> I'm kind of wrapping it up as we speak. So don't forget to go to my website and download that sequence building template. That will really come in handy for you and save you tons of time building sequences. If you can't find it for whatever reason, just send me a DM on Instagram. Otherwise it's right there on my homepage, barebonesyoga.com. And the cool thing is when you download anything from my website, you're going to be on my mailing list and you're going to want to be on my mailing list right now, because I'm going to be launching just to my VIP mailing list, a special offer on August 1st. And the only way you're going to find out about it is if you're on my list, I'm not going to talk about it on social media. So get on the list. Thank you so, so much for watching. And I will catch you next week on the next, for watching, for listening. And I will catch you next week on the next episode of Conversations for Yoga Teachers. Have a great week. Namaste. Hi, everybody. Karen Fabian here. And thank you so much for listening to that episode. Before you hang up, before you disconnect and move on with your day, I just want to let you know, if you're like a lot of the yoga teachers that I talk to, you're looking for ways to break down anatomy into its key parts so that you've got an organized approach for your studying. Well, I'm going to tell you an easy way that you can get hold, get a hold of the topics that you should be studying. And they're all reviewed in my Learn Anatomy Challenge. This is a free video series that you can access online, watch the videos, download the guide that goes with it, and you'll essentially have an outline to shape the studying that you're doing because it takes the broad subject of anatomy and breaks it down into just the key topics that you need to know. So in order to get to the Learn Anatomy Challenge free video series, you're gonna need to go to the special URL, the special webpage that holds these videos. So if you're driving right now, you're probably not gonna be able to obviously write this down. If you're able to write this down, I want you to just grab a pen and a piece of paper and just write down this URL. You can also send me a direct message on Instagram and I'll send you the link directly. If you're looking for the URL, you want to just go to it yourself. Uh, I'm going to give it to you right now. It is barebonesyoga.lpages.co forward slash learn anatomy challenge forward slash. And in between the words learn anatomy challenge are hyphens. So it's learn hyphen anatomy hyphen challenge and then forward slash. So again, I'll just read you the URL. 
barebonesyoga.lpages.co forward slash learn hyphen anatomy hyphen challenge forward slash. So that's the webpage that holds all of these videos. There's nine of them. Uh, and you can go through those and you can take notes. You can print out the uh, guide that goes with it. That would be uh, that will be a great companion guide to have in front of you as you're going through these videos. So again, if you have any trouble getting to it, just send me a direct message on Instagram and I'm happy to send you the link directly. Don't be on your own trying to study anatomy. Use this free video series to hone in on just the topics that you need to know. Good luck.